It's the Locked On Aggies Podcast, presented by Locked On Podcast Network, talking all things Texas A&M. Now, here's your host, Cole Thompson. Howdy, everybody, and welcome back into another episode of Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson, back in the driver's seat, talking all things Texas A&M, and you know what day it is. It's Friday, which means... Not only are we going to be answering your Aggie questions, but we're also going to be previewing this upcoming game as your Texas A&M Fighting Aggies head to Oxford for their first SEC road game of the year to take on the Ole Miss Rebels. Now, let's just give you the basics going into this game before we go any further. But before we even do that... Just make sure that you're following us on social media. You can follow me at Mr. Cole Thompson. You can follow us at Aggies SI. Maggie Maven is now sponsored with Sports Illustrated as well as Locked on Aggies is sponsored by Aggie Maven. So the two kind of go intertwined together, which basically means if you like our content, you can always check it out at SI.com. So now we're all put together. So going into further detail. Texas A&M will be coming into the game at 3-3, perfect 500 record following three losses to a top 10 ranked Clemson, a top 10 ranked Auburn, and a top ranked Alabama Crimson Tide. Last week was their best performance of the season by far, putting up 28 points against the Crimson Tide's defense. Kellen Mond looked phenomenal with three total touchdowns and over 300 total yards of offense, did not throw an interception or have a turnover. Ole Miss, on the other hand, will be coming into this game with a 3-4 record with losses coming to Memphis, California, Alabama, and last week against Missouri and Columbia. But they do have two wins in the SEC, a 31-17 victory over Arkansas and a 31-6 victory over a struggling Vanderbilt. A&M will be the man in charge as they are favored to win by 6.5 points according to our Las Vegas odds maker. Now, the difference between AM and Ole Miss that we're going to talk about a little bit is one knows what they're going to do on offense. They're going to have to pass the ball because of the run game has been depleted this past season, especially with the loss of Jay Sean Corbin, who was missed since week two when he suffered a hamstring injury that was season ending against Clemson. Meanwhile, in Oxford, they're now running a two quarterback system with John Reese Plumley and Matt Coral. Both freshmen have found success this season due to one's ability to throw and be kind of a dual threat guy, and the other one being able to use his legs to pick up that first down. When you think of Plumlee, think of Nick Fitzgerald from last year from Mississippi State. That's exactly who this guy can remind you of. A Colin Klein, God, that name goes a long time back. That's the type of guy you will expect from a Plumlee. He's a run-first quarterback with the ability to pass. Sometimes that works out in your favor, and sometimes that's a major problem waiting to happen. Only time will tell if teams are going to be able to stop that. Meanwhile, when you look at AM's offense, this is a team that's going to be passing a lot, especially with the emergence of freshman Ania Smith and Jalen Weidemeyer. Both freshmen are leading the way in the SEC, top five in total receptions for freshman players. One is first on the team in touchdowns, and the second one is third on the team with touchdown tied with Jamon Osbin with two. But both have found a way to be successful in a very complete Aggies roster that features Courtney Davis, Kendrick Rogers, and Jamon Osbin as well. Meanwhile, when you look at this Rebels team, they're going to rely a ton on the ground. This team is ranked number one in the SEC due to their 
running style. And Coach Fisher brought this up earlier this week about how Ole Miss is a team that runs to pass while Alabama is a team that passes to run. So basically what he's saying is they have to prepare like they're going to pass it at times and not just rely on them running the ball down their throat. Because if, if they do that, the cornerbacks are going to be able to bite and all it's going to take is one perfect throw from Coral or Plumlee to get it down to one of their receivers in the open field for a touchdown. And this game could be a lot closer than people expect, especially the way the A&M's defense played last week against Alabama. Now, let's just go into that before we go any further. Even though they gave up 47 points to Alabama, you have to think, how bad of a look is that for your defense when every other team is giving up that much, if not more, to this Alabama team? I mean, Alabama, on offense... I think it's the staple of college football this year. And I, I don't really think that you can really argue that. Maybe LSU would be the one. Uh, I would definitely love to talk to someone from LSU. And when we have these people on for the show during LSU A&M week, those are going to be things we can talk about with them. We can ask them, what do you think about the offense? But right now, Alabama is the staple offense, especially when you're looking at an air raid attack. These are guys who are destroying secondaries through the air. And it's because of the four horsemen of the Abamalips, is how I like to call them. And Jerry Judy, and Henry Ruggs, and Jalen Waddle, and then Devonta Smith, who, by the way, uh, just for everyone to know, because if he was ejected from the game for throwing a punch, he will miss the first half of the third Saturday in October game against Tennessee this upcoming weekend. For AM, the biggest thing is getting a defensive front to play the part. Everyone is saying that this is a team that loves to run, but Fisher's saying that they are a team that can pass. The problem is, is when you look at their last three games overall, there's not a lot of stats that back up that statement. When you look last week at Missouri, 236 passing yards, neither quarterback threw for over 150. Coral went 10 for 16 for 133. Uh, Plumlee went 8 for 17 for 103. He did throw two touchdowns. When you look the week before against Alabama, that's just as bad. 141 yards, 10 for 28, two touchdowns, one interception. When you look against Cal, 348 passing yards, but no touchdowns. This is a team that relies on their run game. That's what they are. They are a run-based team. That even if they can pass, nobody's really seen it yet. The receivers aren't connecting. They have one receiver who has over 10 receptions on the year. Every other receiver on that staff has nine or fewer. They're relying on one player to make the plays through the air. And outside of that, they're relying on a run game. And don't get me wrong, the run game is their bread and butter. And why change something that isn't broke? That's something that when I look at, that's how you got to stop them. But make Ole Miss pass. Make the Rebels pass on you and let your secondary make plays. We saw last week the secondary play overall decent. That's that's a, that's probably the best word I can use for it because they did give up four total touchdowns. But at the same time, Tungavailoa was able to throw his first interception thanks to freshman Damani Richardson. So all that combined... This Ole Miss team is not Alabama. 
especially in passing. If you can stop the run, that is the key. Stop the run and just play good football. For Ole Miss, on the other hand, stop the pass. Because here's the thing. We know that the run game is not there right now for Texas A&M. I don't know when it's coming back. I don't know if it's coming back. But it's not there right now. And because it's not there right now, you can't justifiably say, oh, yeah, we're going to run the ball down your throat. You can't do that. Hopefully, you could see Jacob Cabote or Isaiah Spiller break free for a big yard and set up Mond in the open field to go ahead and score. But nothing right now is saying that. So for Ole Miss, if you have to make A&M run the ball, that's a huge win in your favor. Because the only person who's really doing anything on the ground right now is Mond. He's the only guy who's rushing consistently for over 40 yards a game. So get him to run the ball, take away the passing game, and you have a good shot of probably upsetting A&M and having your record be at 500. And it's Friday, everybody, so that means we have Fan Friday asking Aggies. So we're going to answer some of your questions, some of the best questions I saw on Twitter, some of the best questions I saw on Facebook. But before we do, here's a quick word from our sponsors presented by Locked On Aggies. Locked On Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson still here back in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M, talking all things Ole Miss. Make sure you follow us on social media at Aggies SI, at Locked On Aggies. You can follow me on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson. And check out all of our great podcasting, all found on LockedOnPodcast.com. There's a ton of great content. College football's around. You know you want to listen. You know you want to bet. You know you want to have some fun. So go ahead. Go click that button, LockedOnPodcast.com. Ton of great content. It's Fan Friday. That means it's Asking Aggies time. This is the part of the show where I will answer questions I saw on social media that I believe are definitely worth talking about. First question comes from Sarah. Cole, who do you think is the one Aggies player expected to break out this week? Good question. I think it's a player that we've already seen break out, but we're going to continue to see him break out, and that's Ania Smith. That is my guy. He is speed. He has good agility. He is great in the open field. And he does a fantastic job of making defenders miss. I am very, very intrigued by the future of this young man. Because when you look at him, there's no reason he should be making those plays in the open field. There isn't. And what I mean by that is, when you have three receivers who are veterans, and Courtney Davis, Jamon Osmond, and Kendrick Rogers, you're not supposed to see a lot of playing time. Yet, here's Smith continuing to make plays as a freshman. The Sugar Land product has 14 receptions, 182 yards, three touchdowns. He's already passed Cameron Buckley for playing time. Buckley's the odd man out, and he had a pretty decent year last year, and a lot of people had a lot of hype on him coming in. So when Aeneas Smith is doing that, he's making good plays. A lot of people have been talking about how Jalen Waddle was supposed to come to Texas A&M. And while that does sting to not have that type of production, especially as a return man, Smith is just as talented. And he's a freshman, so you have him for at least two more years, if not longer, while Waddle you'd have for one more year. I'd much rather have a Smith right now than anyone else. And because of his speed and the way that Ole Miss's secondary is playing, 
I think he's the breakout star this game. I expect him to be the guy making plays in the open field, juking out defenders, beating corners at the second and third level, forcing safeties to have to play over the top in a zone coverage. Make sure that you defend him because he's going to be the one to make plays. And if they do that, what also could happen is you have the front open in the front seven for slant routes for guys like Courtney Davis and Javon Osmond to make plays. So either way, if you're putting so much pressure on Smith, because if he's going to be a vertical threat, you're still winning because if he's doing his job, making sure the middle of the field's open and letting Courtney Davis or Osborne just make plays on their legs. So Smith is my pick. I expect big things from him, and I expect him to be a factor for the offense moving forward. Next question comes from Tom. Who do you think is the more dangerous quarterback for Ole Miss, Plumley or Coral? That's a tough one because the thing is, both passing stats are pretty dang close overall. Neither one has really taken that step in that direction of being that passer that you look at and be like, okay, he's the better one. Part of that, though, is due to an injury Coral suffered at the beginning of the year. He missed two games. Uh, the Ventura, California product, 977 yards, four touchdowns, one interception. Meanwhile, John Reese Plumley, the local boy from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, 425 yards, four touchdowns, one interception. So, looking at it, Coral looks like the better passer. And he also has the ability to run. I mean, you look at his numbers on the ground. He's doing a pretty good job. 56, 46, 17, 18. He has a, he has a couple rushing touchdowns. But Plumley, on the other hand, he's all legs. And he can run at an almost 4-5 speed. I mean, this kid overall, he has 470 rushing yards and four touchdowns on the ground. He's second one yard behind Scotty Phillips, their league-leading rusher, for rushing yards. I like Coral's arm, and if Rich Rodriguez is smart, he'll play him in a system to where they'll allow him to do a QB sneak on a draw play, and when that happens, the next play, no huddle offense quick, get the defense off guard, take a deep shot downfield, because I think that Coral has the better arm. But overall, Plumley might be the quarterback I'm more worried about. Back in 2012, there was a running quarterback who had an okay arm. It got better over time. But he went into Bryant-Denny Stadium and picked up a win that nobody expected. And that was probably still the biggest win in program history. And that man's name was Johnny Manziel. And he was known for his legs. A lot of people want him to transfer positions. They want him to play cornerback. They want him to move to wide receiver. They want him to move to safety. Played quarterback. Used his legs. Had an arm. Threw when he needed to, ran it on the ground, picked up big wins. Plumley is a guy I'm actually more worried about because of I think in short yardage situations, on draw plays, on options, he can be the guy to pick up that first down and make defenders miss in the open field. Next question comes from Judy. What do you think is going to be the X factor for AM this game? Good question. Uh, I'm about to actually post an article about this later today. You can read it on si.com slash TAMU. Shameless plug. I know. Forget it. I believe it's the small game. Kicking. Punting. Last week, Brady Mann was very average. Seth Small did his job, but at times, 
you still want to see more from him. I believe setting yourself up to win by placing a team deep back in their own end zone, inside the 10, inside their 5, inside their 7, plays a major factor, especially against a team like Ole Miss who loves to run the ball, run that clock up, give you less time to score. I think that's where you're going to have to win is in that small game. So every kick counts. Every punt counts. I think that's where the X Factor is going to come this game. If AM can get the ball deep in Ole Miss's end zone, get him to start the two, get him to start the five, they're in good shape. That would be my X Factor. Got time for one more question. This comes from Mark. Do you believe that AM's future is in good hands with Jimbo Fisher? Yes, I do. I absolutely do. I think that when you hire a guy for $75 million from a job, a Power 5 conference, where even though he struggled at the end, found massive success, you're in very good hands. You can't be Alabama. You can't be even a Georgia, because unfortunately you play in the West, which is the harder of the two conferences. And anyone who would argue that probably has not watched a little bit of SEC. But you can be a team on the rise. And eventually Alabama's going to fall. Something eventually will click to where Alabama's not that team anymore. The question is, are you going to be able to be that next team? Are you going to be able to win against teams like Auburn? Are you going to be able to contend with teams like Ole Miss? Because right now, I believe Ole Miss and their recruiting, Auburn and their recruiting, and Alabama and their recruiting are the only three that are really going to stop AM from making that jump to that top-tier team in the SEC West right now. But I do believe that the program is in good hands with Jimbo Fisher. You just got to give it time. And that's the biggest thing that people don't understand. I know it's a corny saying, but Rome wasn't built in a day. So I'll make it a little bit better. The Alabama dynasty wasn't built in a day. It took Saban three years to get to where he was. Give it time. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. We're going to rapid fire off all of our predictions for the SEC West, including giving a rapid fire of players to watch for in this A&M Ole Miss game. But first, here's a quick word from our sponsors, Lockdown Aggies, presented by the Lockdown Podcast Network. Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson back in the driver's seat. Hey, guys, make sure that you're checking out all the great content at LockedOnPodcast.com. There's a ton of great podcasters. College football season is right up, and we're in the middle of conference play. You're going to want to check out all the great content we have up there. That's LockedOnPodcast.com. And make sure you're following us on social media. That's at LockedOnAggies. That's also at AggiesSI. And follow me, at Mr. Cole Thompson. All right, rapid fire time around the SEC. Last week, it was a bit of a doozy. I thought I had a couple of big wins. I was wrong. I lost with Vanderbilt because apparently Vanderbilt just does not want to win against a team like UNLV. And nobody, I mean, nobody expected Georgia to lose to South Carolina, especially with a third string quarterback in at the very end. Rodrigo Blankenship, you got to make up for it this week. Starting off early in Fayetteville as the number 11 Auburn Tigers look to take on the Arkansas Razorbacks. Nick Starkle is expected to be back. 
we saw what happened to him in the game against Southwest Classic, but Ben Hicks has been doing a good job. Meanwhile, Bo Nix has thrown for 1,125 yards, and Jatavius Whitlow is still one of the better rushers, 544 rushing yards on the ground. Overall, when you look at this, it's just two programs that are just at different spots. I like Arkansas. I was very pleased with how they played against a team like A&M and what we saw from them last week, but this is still Auburn's game. Auburn wins big in Fayetteville, but at least maybe we'll see some progress from the program for Chad Morris. Moving over to Columbia, South Carolina, as the number nine Florida Gators look to bounce back following their loss to now number two LSU. Uh, Ryan Helinski is not expected to play. He's still out with a leg injury, which could mean big things for Kyle Trask and Dan Mullen's defense. This is a game where you're going to have a pissed-off Florida offense coming for blood. And really what this is going to decide is which defense is going to step up big. I think Florida's defense, especially after giving up over 40 points uh, as being DBU, to LSU, a team that now is going to definitely call themselves DBU. This is the game where they show up big. I like Florida. Big, big, big win on the road. Moving over 3 o'clock, 2.30 Eastern, uh, 2.30 Central Time. You can watch this game on SEC Network. It's also the game where SEC Nation will be. LSU travels to Starkville, Mississippi to take on the Mississippi State Bulldogs. They're in a lot of trouble right now. Nobody really knows what's going on out in Starkville. I mean, you got to give it up for Kylan Hill. He's leading the SEC in rushing yards, 609 yards and 119 attempts, averaging 5.1 yards per play, five touchdowns. But then again, this is where Joe Burrow can have another Heisman moment. He's played it all year. He's looked the part. He's looked like he is exactly what NFL teams are looking for in quarterbacks. And he looks like the guy who wants to be the leader to take this team to that next step, college football level step. I like Joe Moorhead. I like Mississippi State. I think that they're an overall okay team, but they're going to struggle this week. And the struggles are only going to continue moving forward, especially with the game against AM next week. LSU goes into Starkville, goes into Davis Wade, wins big. Heading over to SEC Network, we have Vanderbilt sitting at 1-5, taking on the 5-1 Missouri Tigers. Let's just get out of this real fast. The Derek Mason era is going to be over soon. I don't know when. I like Riley Neal. I thought Riley Neal was going to be a pretty good guy as the quarterback. He hasn't really impressed. Meanwhile, Kishan Vaughn really has impressed. He's really been the only bit of, the, of offense for that team. His status is probable. He left early during Saturday's game against UNLV, but as long as Kelly Bryant's under center and he is expected to play, especially after what he did last week, I expect them to be big. This is a guy who's really doing everything for this team. He has them now ranked. I think that this is where Missouri continues to be on the winning streak. They go 6-1. and one. They go 3-0 and in the SEC. Big win at Vanderbilt Stadium in Nashville. Moving over to the night games, Georgia at Sanford hosting Kentucky. Kentucky gets that big-time win last week over Arkansas. Are they going to be able to do it again? You have Lynn Bowden Jr., kind of a do-it-all player. Literally, he's doing everything. He's passing, he's throwing, he's catching. 30 receptions for 348 yards. Then when you look at his passing stats as well, he's thrown for 117 yards, one touchdown. The guy can really do it all, but you have a pissed-off Georgia team, a pissed-off Jake Fromm, wanting to show the rest of the SEC, we're still here, we're still competitive, we still know what we can be. Yeah, I, I'm expecting this to be a blowout. I like Mark Stoops. I like what he's done with the program. 
But you have Georgia desperately trying to prove that they are worthy of being that SEC East team to fear. Georgia gets a massive win. Before we go on to the final game of the night, we got to talk about the game that's going to be featured on ESPN the third Saturday in October. Will this be the unlucky year number 13 where Alabama drops it to 10? Nope. I'm not even going to go there. I'm just not. We all know this Tennessee team is not playing up to speed. Yeah, 2-4. and four. They got a big win in the SEC last week against Mississippi State. I think that says more about Mississippi State than it does about Tennessee. Get your cigars ready, Crimson Tide fans, because this is going to be a big blowout in Bryant-Denny Stadium. I expect this to be a 30-plus win game for the Crimson Tide. And as everyone knows, I did go to Alabama, so I will probably have a cigar in the waiting just to be safe after our coverage from Vaught Hemingway Stadium in Oxford, Mississippi, as your Texas A&M Aggies take on the Ole Miss Rebels. We talked a little bit about some things that I like, some things that I don't like, ways that both teams can win. Here are X-Factor players. I said the X-Factor player one was Aeneas Smith. My other X-Factor player is going to be Kendrick Rogers, wide receiver. The junior has disappointed this season, partially due to injury, partially due to miscommunication with Kellen Mond in the red zone against a defense that's struggling in the secondary. He has to be the ones to make plays. If he cannot make those plays, then I don't know if you're going to be able to see him become a factor anymore. You could start seeing Aeneas Smith be that guy who's going to probably take over his role even. He's already done it to Cameron Buckley. He would probably do it to Rodgers as well. For me, on Ole Miss, Scotty Phillips. Easy pick. He's the team leading rusher. This A&M run defense is okay. It's not exactly where you want to be, but it is okay. If he can break free, if he can get a couple big-time runs set up, Reese Plumley and Coral, whatever you want to do, pass, run it. This could be a major game changer for Ole Miss. This could be exactly what they need, and they could finish off the night going 4-4 four and four on the year. Prediction time, I like Ole Miss. I like that they're going to run a dual two-style quarterback system. It's going to keep Mike Elko's defense on edge, but this A&M team wants to prove that they are the team everyone thought they were and they just had a bit of bad luck against really strong opponents. This is the game where they bounce back. This is the game where they're going to be able to make a statement. This is the game where everything changes for A&M this year. I go A&M 34, Ole Miss 17. That's going to do it for this episode and this week's edition of Locked on Aggies. Again, make sure you're following us on social media. Follow me at Mr. Cole Thompson. Follow us at Aggies SI, at Locked on Aggies. And you can always check out all of our great content at si.com slash T-A-M-U. All of our articles, all of our podcasting. And also, make sure you check out all of our great content at LockedOnPodcast.com. We'll see you next Monday when we discuss what went right and what possibly went wrong up in Oxford. This is Cole Thompson for Locked on Aggies. We'll see you soon. Give him y'all. This has been Locked on Aggies. Presented by the Locked On Podcast Network.